T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Drive it. Shot clock about to expire. Step back three from Embiid. Oh, my goodness. Here's Joel on that last action. Shot clock winding down. Defenders running at him. Well, that's Kate Scott and Al Abdenabi. Uh, yesterday afternoon was the Sixers rollover, a bad Indiana, in Indiana team. And uh, Joel Embiid had a great game yesterday. 41 points, 20 rebounds, 14 for 17 from the field, and a man who was there to cover it, as he usually is, Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer and Daily News joins us now. Keith, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're great. We are great. Uh, a little nervous about the Sixers. Let's start with the good mm-hmm. stuff. The good stuff is Embiid, who, um, as you noted today, probably locked up the scoring title Yesterday, the only way it can he cannot, I guess, is if he plays and gets two points, and then Jokic plays and gets fifty points or whatever. But he's he's locked it up. But he has not locked up the MVP. Keith Pompey, we ask you: Should he be the MVP, and will he be the MVP? Okay, so I'm going to tell you: I voted. I have a vote. I voted for him to be the MVP. The first time I've ever voted for him to be the MVP. So. Let's put that out there. Um, and I don't think he will get the MVP. Um, the reason being is I, I feel like that right about now, and there's a lot of people who are getting caught up in, in statistics. And it, it means a lot, I guess. You know, uh, Joker, 2,000 points, 1,000 uh, uh, rebounds, you know, 500 assists. Um, but the, So I think that that could stand in Joel Embiid's way right, when it comes down to the national voting. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I voted for him in regards to the MVP is, and I understand what people are saying about Joker, but if you take Embiid off of this 76ers team, no offense to the players they have, I believe that they're a play-in team. And even though we talked about when when you led in, you said, you know, they played a bad Indiana team. He scored 41 points and had 20 rebounds against a bad Indiana team. But it seems like he's had to have performances like that all year, regardless of the quality of the c- competition for them to win, right? Mm-hmm. So when you when you look at it, when we talk about most valuable, he has been the most valuable player on the team uh, for the 76ers, arguably the league. I also think that we have to go into account his whole season, the totalitarian. Like in the beginning, the whole Ben Simmons saga, Right, it was to a point where he was carrying them then. Yep. And then now you look at it; they have James Harden. James Harden hasn't come close to performing the way that everybody expected him to do. 
and he's still carrying the Sixers. So that's the reason why I voted for Embiid. But there are going to be some people who have a vote, and they just don't pay as close attention to what the Sixers are doing and what they've been through as, you know, others. And they're going to go for the, you know, for the Joker's uh, stat. Yeah, Ray, I, think, I, I, I would just like to record that and send that to every voter, if I may. No, I, I agree. I agree with Keith entirely, and I think that Keith, I didn't realize until I was reading a piece this week um, that said that uh, for Jokic, two thousand points, a thousand rebounds, five hundred assists in a season, which he did this year, was the first time it's ever been done by anybody. Uh, I yeah. did, I didn't know that. So that's you know. I, you know that's pretty impressive. I I agree with you there. If you if you look at the numbers, the fact that in terms of points, rebounds, and assists, he did something this year no player has ever done. That's pretty good. But I think it gets back to, and this is the point that you just made. It gets back to the whole notion of what is most valuable player. You know what does that award mm-hmm. really tell you? And when you think about what the Sixers were this year, what they went through, as you say with the Simmons thing, the whole transformation at midseason when they make the trade, they make the team over, they bring in a new player in Harden, they have to re reconstitute how they're going to play the game and everything. The one constant through the whole thing has been Embiid. I mean, he's been mm-hmm. there every night, and he's kept this team on track. And I agree with you. I mean, they're, if, if you take him off this team, they're nowhere. You know. So if you're just going to define it by what an MVP truly means, I think he is the most valuable. I really, I'm not taking anything away from what Jokic has accomplished because it's been great. But if you really define most valuable player to who has been most valuable and critical to his team and what would the team be without him, I honestly think it's Embiid hands down. Yeah, I agree. Of course I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they play tonight. They're, I guess, 3.30 start today, right, uh, against the Pistons. Uh, Sixers would be a favorite. Celtics play the Grizzlies. Um, if the Celtics win, the Celtics get the three seed no matter what. Uh, any sense the Grizzlies are playing for nothing today, right, Keith? Any sense that the Grizzlies are gonna play guys, or are they just gonna kind of tank this one? Yeah, it's funny because I keep like going online looking to see, right? Let me see like they any updates. Um, you know, the, the weird thing is the Grizzlies wanna they wanted to basically have all their guys together going into the playoffs. Now they do have six days off before they play the next one. My only question is, you know, John Morant just came back from missing nine games with mm-hmm. an injury. Do you want to do a back-to-back with him? And what about some of these other guys? So, you know, my thing is, if if, if I'm if the coach, it depends on what they want. Like, if they want to basically say, okay, we're going to play another game, you know, let, uh, let's do it. But, you know, I, something tells me that, and, and I could be wrong, but, you know, I get the this, this gist by just by reading stuff that it, it could be one of those things where they get up today and, and they're looking at guys and making phone calls and saying, how do you feel? How, how did you, how did your injury? I mean, you know, how do you feel, Ja? And if Ja says he, he, you know, he just wants to rest, then they're not going to play. Now, mm-hmm. I'm under the belief that the Boston Celtics, because, you know, we have Matisse Seibel, who's not fully vaccinated in Philadelphia. But the Boston Celtics has Al Horford, and they have um, a Jalen Brown. So you know they have two guys who they don't want to go to Toronto and, and play with. So I'm under the belief that you know the Celtics are going to come, uh, you know, bring it. They're going to have all their starters, and they're going to try to go um, hard as if it is a playoff game today against the Grizzlies. How do you feel when you're looking ahead to what lies ahead, the possible matchups for the Sixers in the playoffs? 
which ones do you view as favorable and which ones do you view as the, the most perilous? You know, it's weird, and it's, it's funny because when we look at it, we would say possible matchups. Let's start with the first one. Um, you, you look at Chicago, and, and you see how the Sixers match up against them. Chicago just doesn't have anyone who can who who can stop and be. No, yeah. um, but you know, but when you look at Toronto in the regular season, I mean, Toronto hasn't really even played the Sixers with their full complement of players, and they've been able to get the best of them. And then the one game that the Sixers beat them with, Toronto had six guys out with COVID, right? So it's one of those things where you look at how long and how athletic they are. They're in, they have a lot of interchangeable parts. You know, that that's a tough matchup. And it's one matchup that a lot of people are saying, you don't want to play the Raptors, you don't want to play the Brooklyn Nets, and you don't want to meet the Boston Celtics in the playoffs. They're three Atlantic Division, you know, rivals, right? But the one thing I will say is, you remember last year when they, when they lost to the Atlanta Hawks? Sure. Everyone was excited that they were yes. playing the Atlanta yeah, Hawks. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's you, true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's yep. a matchup because we wanted. They, they, yeah, yeah. That's the matchup you want because they destroyed the Atlanta Hawks in the regular season. And then what happens is, you know, playoff basketball is a little bit different. You can get the scout, you, you scout your opponent more. So it, it's one of those things where although you say to yourself, like, I want the Bulls, I want the Bulls, I want the Bulls, you know, it's, it's basically going to come down to how are the coaches going to scheme and how are they going to have people prepared. And, you know, it's going to be more of a half-court game, which you, you, you think is, is suits James Harden a little bit better. You know, you have a guy like uh, uh, Danny Green who he's playing Toronto. You know, he wanted to go back to Toronto. He ended up, you know, signing with the Lakers um, for that one year. So he's going to be a little bit motivated. So, you know, it's – it's one of those things where the playoffs, things can change. But right now, when you look at it, you say to yourself, "Now nah, we don't want any parts of that because of the Matisse situation. But again, it's all about how is Doc Rivers going to have them prepared and what is James Harden going to do? Is he going to step up and show that he's that guy that they traded for? Yeah, I want to get to Harden in a minute, but I just want to stick with the Toronto possibility for a moment. And Ray and I talked about this early, and maybe it's unfair to think this mm-hmm. way or to ask you this, but if they play Toronto and if per chance they lose the series because he can't play, right? They split the first two games here. They go to Toronto. There's defensive lapses, whatever. Uh, for Joel Embiid, this is his best. I mean, maybe things will get better, but this is clearly, you know, he's having his best season. Uh, for James Harden, we believe he came here in part because he really saw the opportunity to win. Uh, and was leaving a team where a guy wasn't vaccinated, if they lose it and Thibault becomes an issue, is it possible, like, he can't play here in the future? Or am I making too much out of this? I mean, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I don't know if you're making too much out of it. You know, um, I, I, I think it's a, it's a sensitive, it is a, a sensitive subject, you know, where, you know, People, you're gonna if, if 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 people if they get rid of him, there are gonna be some people that say, "Look, man, he has his right," and then it becomes a bigger issue. But I will say this, and I and you kind of feel sorry for the guy, um, in a way because it's like a no-win situation for him. You know, he, he it's not like he's a a superstar player to whereas like you know Kyrie, you just deal with what Kyrie does. 
because he's a max player. You may not like him, right. but when you have a guy like a Mati- um, uh, uh, I'm about to say, a Mat- yeah, Matisse Thibel, you know, he's going to be the scapegoat mm-hmm. if they lose. Mm-hmm. And if he stays or not, there's going to be certain people saying, you know, they're not going to come down on him like they did Ben Simmons, but there are going to be certain people saying, it's your fault. It's your fault. Even though when he played, the Sixers were getting destroyed by that team, people are still going to say, it's your fault. You're the reason why we lost. And, and, and you know, he does have, you know, I'm a guy who's fully vaxxed, a guy who got my boosters. Matter of fact, I'm 50, so I got my, my I got the second booster yesterday before mm-hmm. the game. Yep. So so I believe in that, but at the same time, he has a right to do what he wants to do. And but at the same time, there's always an escape goat when things go wrong. And I and I feel like that he will be made the escape goat if they do lose that that series. Yeah, I think it's un- unavoidable, Keith. No question about that. Um, I, you know, Glenn alluded to Harden, so I guess there's we got to kind of talk about him where he is right now. Um, clearly, he's been struggling. I mean, it's uh, you know the the, the, the long range shooting has just been part of it. He just you know he can't quite get to the basket anymore. He just I I guess my question is 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 it a case of that he's still playing hurt that the hamstring hasn't fully recovered. And he's playing. He's just trying to play through an injury, or is it a case of he's just getting older? And there are things that we used to remember him being able to do that he just can't do anymore. Or is it more like? Is it probably just maybe a combination of the two? I think it's the third. It's a combination of the two. I mean, you know, and, and I, I was listening to you guys yesterday, and I, you know, heard you say, you know, Derek Bodner said the same thing. Um, I do think it's a combination of the two. Now, the one thing is, I will say that. You know, it's obvious that something is wrong with him. I mean, there was a time where he had a sleeve on his cap, right? There was a time where I saw on the bench the guy was giving him a massage on his on his calf. You look at it now; he's been playing some games with a with a sleeve on his whole leg. You know, so that tells you that something is wrong. You can look at his shot. You can look that there's not a lot of elevation. You can look at sometimes he's back rimming these these, these threes, right? So you could tell that he's like pushing extra. Um, the, the, the thing is, is, it's like, although he keeps saying everything is great, everything is great, you know that the hamstring is bothering him still a little bit, right? Um, but I think he's trying to power through it. Um, when you see a guy who last year he had so many hamstring problems, he had some early on, and then he comes back and, he, and he's playing well initially, to me I look at it as if, he had some rest. You know, he was able to come back and, and play well. But then on the NBA schedule, was so grueling. When you start playing X amount of games, it kind of like takes away from it because you don't have that long of a recovery. So I think that has a lot to do with the, the hamstring. Now, again, he is getting older. There was times in the past where, you know, as a young guy, you didn't need to take that much rest. You could do whatever you, you did and come out and play. So, you know, I think hopefully for him and hopefully for the 76ers, the fact that, you know, games are going to be spread out a little bit more in the playoffs, that, you know, he can, uh, you know, uh, be a little bit better. Now, something else I will add, the rule changes also impacted his play as well. Now, I know the shot isn't there, but there was a time in the past when his shot wasn't going well, he would just um, just, just drive the lane, and because of his, his status, if someone would touch him, he would get a foul. 
nowadays, you, yeah, it looks yeah. like he's trying to get that, and yeah, they're not giving it to him. Kick out that leg, you know? the ref's not buying it. Uh, no, not anymore. No. Well, Keith Pompey, it is uh, it is a pleasure to speak with you. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, on Sixers, and we look forward to talking to you maybe during an extended playoff run. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, be well. Thanks so much. Thanks, Keith. Thanks, thanks for having me. All right, there you go. Uh, James Harden yesterday had a better game, well, had a better second half. First half, 2 of 8, 0 for 4 on three-pointers. Second half, 5 of 8, 2 of 5 on three-pointers. Final, 7 for 16, 2 for 9. Yeah, 14 assists, but yeah, also, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also five turnovers. Yep. So um, he just has to play better. Yep. You know, for them to to even get to the conference final, not even talking about winning the whole thing, for him to get to the conference final, he's just going to have to play a lot better than he's playing right you now. You bet. Yes, sir. Let's get Rick in West Philly. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, Rick. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. How y'all doing? All right. We're good. All right. Good morning, Mac. Always looking here. good to hear from you. Thank you, sir. And, Ray, you are my man for the last 45 years. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You made me that. a football genius because I would sit up here and listen to your articles, read the daily news, or watch or listen whatever you got to say, and I don't make no decisions until I'm talking to you about football. <laughs> so, and then I go outside and argue with the guys and – it's a nice debate, but they be arguing at me, and they do they know they debating you. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, so I, was like, I appreciate me making like a genius. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. So, where do you where do you, where do you want to see the Eagles go in the draft? I, man, they better get somebody on defense. They need to get if they got if they got to move up and get that guy from that defensive tackle from um, from Georgia, the one that runs that speed fifty one. Please get him. I don't care what you do, or you got to get a cornerback. Or you got to get a linebacker. And I know linebackers to the Eagles is like the plague, but you know. <laughs> what was it, 1979, Jerry so, Robinson? 79, Jerry the Robinson. Last linebacker they and took in the first made round. No sense. Yeah. How you, and, 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 and they sit up here and they watch all the teams win the Super Bowls. Look at their linebackers. What is wrong with y'all? Yeah, it's philosophical, but I mean, you you um, you look at the teams that have won the last couple championships, linebackers have been key. And linebackers exactly. are, you know, you get the right, right guy, it's a difference maker. Exactly, right? So, I don't understand. And, and, and Jesus, man, why did you apply for the general manager job at the Eagles? <laughs> Rick, we've asked, thanks, buddy. We've asked ourselves that question forever. Comes up every night at Tommy and Every me. year, <laughs> all these years, wasted time in the media when you could be building a dynasty. <laughs> One of these days we'll sit down, we'll have that you long. Get, um, long you know, sometimes, sometimes you get them right, sometimes you get them wrong. I yeah, mean, I think that we, you, we all have. Yeah, oh, for sure, for sure. But I, I, the one thing I've, if there's one thing I've learned in 50-plus years of covering the NFL and analyzing drafts, nobody's perfect. I mean, even the best general managers make wrong decisions. I mean, Bobby Beathard, one of the great football architects of all time, is in the Hall of Fame, and he drafted Ryan Leaf. So, I mean, everybody can be wrong. I went back. We may do this in one of these coming weeks. For some reason, somebody posted online the first round of the 2012 draft, 10 years ago. Yeah. Fletcher Cox draft, right? Yeah. And I was looking at that first round. Fletcher Cox is like the only guy still, not literally, but one of a handful of guys still playing. Yeah. And, you know, maybe the best pick of the round, ultimately, now Luke Keekley was picked before Fletcher Cox, and he was a great player. He was a real good who, player. Whose career had to end early. Right. And Fletcher's really no, no longer a terrific player that he once was. 
But just going through it, leaving Keekley and Cox out, you go through it and like the third pick of the draft is some offensive tackle who played three years and disappeared. And the fifth pick is this wide receiver everybody thought was going to be good and he caught 80 passes. And, and it's it happens. We just we localize it, right? Mm-hmm. Because we say like, God almighty, they took Jalen Rager and they could have taken Justin Jefferson. What in the world were they thinking? Right. But every year you look back and half of the first round picks are duds. Yeah, well, and the offensive lineman you're talking about, I think, was Matt Khalil, right? He was the offensive. Might have been. I don't know. Yeah, I, and I, he was he was like the third overall pick. Everybody said can't miss. Yeah, you know, it might have been. You know, all pro player, probably a pro bowl player. Matt Khalil never amounted to anything. It turns out his younger brother Ryan winds up getting drafted by Carolina. Nobody really thinks all that much of him, and he goes on to Carolina and becomes an outstanding player yeah. for a decade. Yeah. So I mean, everybody, it's it's so hard. It really is so hard to make these evaluations. Yep. All right, we'll come back. We will get your calls. We want to look at the most overrated stat. We got a fifty dollars gift card to Shibe Sports to give out. Motion, even nobody's running away with this thing at this point, right? No, so far Ray is still winning with Ray is still percentage. winning completion percentage. Yeah, yes, that's a good one. That was a very good one. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. All calls. The next segment. All calls. Uh, at uh, the segment after that, Ray's going to give his NFL draft preview. Where are we going with that one today, Ray? Well, we talked about it yesterday. Um, I'll start on my sleepers. Nice. I'll start. Uh, I'll give you two. I'll give you two defensive sleepers today. Love it. All right. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack. Now, T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Ray and Glenn, 94 WIP. Let's talk to V in Sharon Hill. How you doing, V? How are you guys doing? All righty. Um, I just had a question about um, passer rating versus quarterback passer rating. Yeah. It, to me, it seems like the QBR is over. It, 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 it's, I mean, it's not taking into account just regular passes. You got to have like, like really long passes, and it just seems like it's too much. It puts a different emphasis on it, but I would argue that both of those formulas, I mean, they are stats, but they're stats based on formulas as opposed Uh to an actual event that happens on the field. Let me see if I can explain this. 
like completion okay. percentage, flawed as it is, is a specific it's ha- the percentage of passes you complete. Quarterback right. rating and QBR, uh, uh, um, sorry, the two of them. Now I'm getting confused. Are both based on taking a bunch of events, putting them together in an equation, weighing and measuring them in different ways, and coming up with a number. I will agree with V's whole premise that it's overrated because when you look at the all-time quarterback ratings, Ray, yes, there are a lot of mediocre quarterbacks of today at the top of the list. Right. And exactly. The, and the great quarterbacks of the past don't show up. Right. So I think V's got a good one. No, I, no, I, I, I agree with V. Um, I mean, if you look at – and you, it's easy for people to access. Just go online, go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame – statistical page and look at the all-time quarterbacks in the categories you're talking about, quarterback efficiency rating or passer rating, you'll see guys like Dave Craig, you know, who everybody remembers, played a million years, played for a dozen different teams, has – I'm just pulling his name out of the air because I've, I've sort of done this myself. Um, and you look at his passer – he has a higher passer rating than Johnny Unitas who's one of the, one of the five greatest quarterbacks wow. that's ever played. So I mean that the numbers are skewed that way, but it, but what it tells you is and it, it, what it absolutely tells you is that the that the way the game has changed over the years uh, is not reflected in the statistics. In other words, today the short pass, the West Coast offense, the dink and dunk stuff uh, has greatly inflated those kinds of numbers whereas in the past in the 50s and the 60s the Unitas is the Tittles those kinds of quarterbacks, when they threw the ball, they weren't dumping it off. When they threw the ball, they were throwing it downfield. Yeah. So, right. so typically, you know, at the end of a season, even a really good quarterback, touchdown passes and interceptions were very close because guys were taking more chances with the football. Now the game's all about it's a good one, not turning the ball over. But V, I think, yeah, V, that's a good one. Do you know who's number seven in the all-time quarterback rating? Kirk Cousins. There you go. It's seventh all time. They're all contemporary guys. Mahomes is number one. I mean, you know, these young guy. Mahomes only played sixty three games. So I'm going to just give you guys who Steve, played it. Steve Young when he retired. Or more games. When Steve Young retired, I think Steve Young was number well, one. He's now number ten. Okay. So this is guys who've played a hundred or more games, right? I'm taking out the the young guys. Number one is Aaron Rodgers. That's fine. Aaron Rodgers is one of the five greatest quarterbacks of all time. Yeah, he's, so I don't he's have a problem with that. I have no problem with that. Uh, number two is Russell Wilson. Number three is Drew Brees. Four is Kirk Cousins, again, guys with 100 games or more. Five is Brady. Six is Tony Romo. Come on. <laughs> what are you, crazy? So, I, you know, I have no argument with the Rodgers and the Breezes and the, and the Bradys, clearly. They're, no, they're all-timers. Yeah. But I would tell you that having um, Kirk Cousins and Tony Romo at the top of the list, something's wrong here. Yeah, it is. It is. Right? Something's really wrong here. So anyway, that's I think the overrated stat and V's uh, maybe in the lead, but yeah. Ray, you and I don't get to make that decision. No. Uh, let's get Eric in Maryland. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hi, Eric. Hey, good morning, fellas. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Uh, what I wanted to ask both of you about is the terminology that's used in scouting and how it reflects in drafting. Uh, for example, the term raw. Is there a difference between a term raw when using it for a prospect versus um, a project, you know, like for example, uh, my lotta was a raw project, Ooh, yeah. but he looks to be a star. Whereas someone like, you know, uh, Kevon Wallace, who we drafted, I think two years ago, 
he was raw, but he had so much more experience playing. Um, I hear what you're saying. But he's not on the field. I understand. Let me let me see if I can interpret. Right, he's talking about guys who are raw because they are so inexperienced. Right. That raw is like you know uncooked, untested. Just what do you have here? You see physical ability, but how is that going to translate Correct. to a guy like Kavon Wallace, who we know he's never going to be a star, but maybe there's something in there. Right. You know, that's that potential thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I I see what you're going. I think you're right. And, and, and there you're kind of it's two different ways of saying the same thing. Um, my lot of... Um, yeah, Mylotta is he's the definition of raw. <laughs> if you're talking about a raw prospect, that's the the, the definition of that is Jordan Mylotta. Cuz I mean, you don't get any rawer than a guy that had never played. Uh and so what the Eagles did with him is probably a one in a million. You know, I mean, you got this guy who had never actually even played the game. You drafted him in the 7th round. You worked with him for a couple of years and you not only got him on the field, but he's now on the verge of being a pro bowl player. That's that just yeah. doesn't happen very often. Quavon Wallace, uh, to me, is a, is, is a disappointment. Um, I saw him play at Clemson. Wow. Uh, I saw him play at Clemson, and he was a good player. I mean, the Eagles drafted him in the fourth round. I actually thought he could go higher. Uh, his college career was very good. His college tape was very good. Um, a lot of it depends on how you want to use him. You know, he's a safety who's, who's really kind of a big hitter. Uh, has certain liabilities and coverage, uh, but I thought with good coaching would develop into a good player. I'm kind of surprised that this far along in it that he hasn't made more of an impact. You know, this year, okay. you know, the Eagles right now they're they're thin at the safety position. So if he can stay healthy, I mean, he will get a good long look at training camp this year because frankly they're looking for a player, Thanks, and Sarah. maybe okay. and maybe it'll finally happen for him. But you know, I, here's an example of what I'm talking about. You know, you can. Really study this and think you know what you're doing and, and make a judgment mistake. And I thought Quavon Wallace, when the Eagles made that pick, I said, oh, that's a, that's a really good pick. They're gonna, he's going to come on the field and play for this team. Here we are. We're this far down the road, and it hadn't happened yet. So to V's point of quarterback rating being an overrated stat, I'm, I'm, now, I'm now so locked into this thing. In the top 35 players, all-time quarterbacks all-time, Mm-hmm. There are only two whose career ended before the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Steve Young at 10 and Joe Montana at 18. Right. On the list, ahead of any others who would have played you know, before that, it includes Marcus Mariota, Matt Schaub, Tyrod Taylor, <laughs> Dante Culpepper, Jameis Winston. I mean, like these guys are all in the top 30 all time. Right. You want to tell me how Tyrod – Tyrod Taylor can't keep a job. No. He's moving from team to team. And yet here he is, better than your Johnny Unitas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a flawed stat. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, you look at Unitas' number, it's all, it almost makes you laugh. And, yeah. and, and Namath's is worse. Yeah, well, Namath threw I, – I, I, Namath threw a lot of balls up, up in the air. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, am I, I'm trying to think of quarterbacks who played in the '90s, uh, in the '80s, and the '90s who were great quarterbacks. Dan Fouts, right? Dan Fouts is one of the best quarterbacks I ever saw. Right. He's not on this. He's he's behind Carson Palmer and Baker Mayfield. What are you crazy? Well, where would uh, where would Aikman be? He's, he's not in the top thirty-five. Yeah. I mean, I can keep scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Hold on, let me see. I'm just looking for guys who whose career ended before two thousand. All right, Dan Marino is number Dan Marino is number forty. 
14 spaces behind Matt Schaub. <laughs> How's that? I'm not surprised. I mean, I've looked at this list and it just, you just roll your eyes when you do. I mean, when you look at they this. they got to come up with another one. When you look at it. this, what it tells you is you say, no, we got to figure out a different system than this. Yeah, this, this, one, this one is not working. Oh, Jim Kelly is number 50. That's it. That's the top 50. Yeah. That's it. Marino and Kelly sneak in after. Barely make the cut. Young and Montana. So that's four quarterbacks in the top 50 who played before this. Nick Foles is in there ahead of Dan Marino. Mm-hmm. I felt that way on February 6th. Well, I mean, you've got young and young and Montana are obviously great quarterbacks, but they played in that what you would call quarterback friendly system, the West Coast yeah. offense, yeah, the yeah, Bill yeah. Walsh offense, yeah. which lends itself into throwing safe passes and com- completing a high percentage and not turning the ball over. You know, it's no accident that and, and it, look, they're great quarterbacks and they probably would have functioned well in any offense, but it's the West Coast offense that this rating system is kind of built Ray, around. David Garrard who I don't even remember. Oh, Jacksonville. I know. I'm being facetious. Oh, okay. Is is ahead of Dan Fouts. V might win this thing. I, I don't I want to lobby. Let's see what Rudy... No, I think she's the leader in the club. Rudy, Rudy and Horsham may have something better. Rudy, you got an overrated stat? Hello, Rudy? Uh, Rudy, Rudy is not there. Let's go to Irv in Haverford. Hello, Irv. Hey, guys. Uh, love listening to you. Uh, I'm retired now, so I get a chance to listen to sports radio a little bit more. Um, I would, I, This is directed at Ray in terms of when you draft a first-round pick from one of the top schools like Alabama, Georgia, where they have winning programs, championship programs, are you more likely to get a well-coached player who has played high competition throughout their careers, are you more likely to hit on those choices? Has anybody looked at that data to see first-round choices, Alabama, Clemson, et cetera, et cetera? Um, you would think that that would be true. Uh, it's not true across the board. There, um, there is a school of thought that um, that the players who play we'll, – we'll use Alabama for an example because Saban's program has been so good for so long – um, that Nick coaches his players very well. They're very well schooled. They know how to play. Um, but he works them so hard uh, that guys come out of there and in some cases are maybe a little overrated. Maybe they have peaked out, that there's no more, you know, they have kind of tapped as good as they're going to be. There's, there's no really more room for growth when you come to the NFL. That happens with some guys. The other part is that Nick works his guys so hard that some of them are burnt out. I mean, emotionally, mm-hmm. physically, they they kind of come out of Alabama. Not all of them, but obviously some Alabama guys come to the NFL and do great. But there is a certain burnout factor coming out of his program that guys come to the NFL and they just don't have a whole lot left. Uh, and then you get a guy like and here's here's one a guy that I totally whiffed on was a cornerback named D. Milner. wasn't that many years ago. Him, yeah. yeah, I mean, he was everybody everybody had him as a first round pick. I had him as a top ten pick. Came to the NFL, complete bust, complete bust, and, and some of it was the some of it was injury. He got hurt. It was a little bit of misfortune. Didn't wound up in the right system. But another part of it, when I talked to some coaches, I said, "Whatever happened with D. Milner? I mean, like, how could a guy like that miss?" They say he was burnt out, just burnt out on the yeah. game. And so if that's one of, that's one it? of the things you have to. But one of the things I do kind of believe in, and I really do believe in this, I think guys who come from winning programs that helps. Whether it was a big college or a small college or D two, 
it helps if a guy was at a winning program because he comes to the NFL and he already knows the idea of what t- what it takes to win. That's that's a valuable thing to have. That's uh, that's very interesting. I very much appreciate your opinion. I wanted uh, to also give you an overrated stat. Yeah, and that's kicking average for punters. Um, it really depends on where they're kicking from on the field. If mm-hmm. they're kicking closer to the other team's end zone, that's going to shorten the punt. It should really be net return yards on punting yeah. that yeah. that gives you a better handle. That's if a good you're point. Kicking directionally. Yeah, no, that's a good point. If you're kicking from the 50, you're punting from the 50. And by the way, my advice is usually go for it. But if you're punting from the 50, well, you don't want a 50-yard punt. You want a 42-yard punt and get it out of bounds. Yeah, I I understand that. Yeah. That's okay. Um, You're still still pushing for that punter for the Eagles to draft, huh? Oh, yeah. San Diego State. Yeah, you know what? I was going to look at a mock draft this morning before I came in. Matt Araza. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you think, Ray? Uh, Eagles got a lot of picks. I think got a lot of, of picks. Need I think it's not a bad idea. I mean, they have three oh, picks. I've won. I've won the heart of Ray Dinger on oh, this. No, no, no. I, I never disagreed with that. Oh. I mean, he's he Glenn. He's a real weapon. Yeah, he's a real weapon. I mean, not only does he have a big leg where he can punt it 70, 80 yards, which he can, by the way, but he's also got very nice touch. He's also good at killing the ball inside the twenty. He's a he's he's about the best college punter I've seen. I don't know if I go back as far as Ray Guy, but I can't think of one that was better than him. Ray Guy was a first rounder. That will never happen. No, that that I don't know that that'll happen again. But um, if the Eagles right now have three fifth round picks, right, uh, I would certainly have no problem using one of those picks on him. The only problem is I don't know if he's going to be there in the fifth round. He yeah. might go. He might go in round four. That's interesting. Yeah, he, I mean his 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 stock right now among the NFL people is is very high. Yeah, I'm looking, looking, looking. Wisnowski, the punter, was drafted in the fourth round in 2019. There are a bunch that are drafted in the fifth. Uh, not one in a third. Anger, who was it? Matt Anger? Was that his name? Mm-hmm. 12th, uh, 2012 was drafted in the third round. Generally not before the fifth. Yeah, he's going to go. You know what? He's going to go. Eagles are going to have to take him in round four. And I would not be upset. No, it would be nice if you could – since you have three in the fifth round, it would be nice if right. you could get there, but yeah. I don't think you will. I think he's too good. Yeah, you got enough. You can do it. Do it. Do it. Howie, do it. 215-592-9494. All right, coming up, Ray Dinger is going to give you his NFL draft preview, cover a couple of sleepers. We'll get some calls in. We'll give away the prize. We'll take you right up to leading off. If you have a Philly-specific question, you call in now. I will get you into that first segment of leading off. Looking forward to talking some Phil's baseball. All right, everybody. We are doing this every day leading up to the NFL draft. It is time for the Ray Dinger NFL draft preview. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you love this NFL films music, don't you? I love when you talk with it. It just it makes me feel like, you know, football. It makes you feel like football. It does for me, too. Um, okay, uh, I know you always like my sleepers, so I'll, I'll get started on them today. I'll give you two. I, every year I pick five. So uh, today I will give you two defensive players. Since we've been talking a lot of defense with the Eagles, I'll give you two defensive players. One of them is a guy you I'm sure you remember his father. Do you remember Carnell Lake? Yeah. was a safety, was a yeah. very good player. Pittsburgh? Pro Bowl player with the Steelers. Yeah. His son is Quinton Lake, Okay, uh, who is also a safety. I like bloodlines. At UCLA. Played for Chip Kelly, and uh, I really like him. He's uh, very talented, very smart. He looks like a kid that 
he looked like a kid whose father played football. He looks like he's been well coached, certainly knows his way around the field, knows how to play the game, doesn't do anything stupid. Uh, plays the same position as his father, not quite as big as his father. He's 6'1", 205, which is, people will say, well, that's too small to really be a safety. I don't agree with that, uh, but for that very reason is one of the reasons why he's going to probably slip in the draft farther than he should. Um, based on his talent and based on his tape, he should probably be no worse than a third-round pick. He'll probably wind up being in round four or five, but um, is a worthy player. He's he's a really good tackler, uh, very physical. He's not afraid to come up and force the run, uh, but he has good enough instincts to play deep and play the pass. Uh, he, led the, he led the Bruins in passes broken up and in interceptions last year uh, and is a very, very good open field tackler. He's a guy that I don't know that you're going to project him as a rookie starter, but he can certainly work in if you have a whole lot of sub packages. If you play a lot of nickel and dime, you can certainly find ways to get him on the field. And from day one, he will be a good special teams player and with the potential to develop into more than that. So Quinton Lake from UCLA, 6-1-2-0-5 safety, uh, is my sleeper number one. The other one, interestingly enough, is a player that we had a caller ask me about like three weeks ago. Said, Ray, do you, do you, what are your opinion on Malcolm Rodriguez? <laughs> and I didn't want to get into it then because I was just really starting to put my sleepers together. And, and Rodriguez was one of the guys I wanted to go with um, because I saw him play. Uh, he played at Oklahoma State. Uh, and he's one of these guys who's all over the field. I mean, mm-hmm. he's always around the football. Uh, he's undersized, which is another reason why he'll fall in the draft. Uh, but he's so smart. Uh, he's so heady, and again, such a good tackler. One of the things, Glenn, and you and I talk about this all the time, the NFL, for all the things that it does well, yeah. one of the things that has really suffered in the league is tackling. Yes. It's really not a great tackling league anymore. Great. I mean, how many missed tackles do you see in games? In the Eagles secondary, a lot. A lot, and I don't know it's just because I'm watching the Eagles. I watch other games, and I seal the same thing. So that's one of the reasons why when I'm putting this together and I'm scouting defensive guys, tackling, it's as stupid as this sounds, Tackling is important to me, okay? I hate to sound old-fashioned, but I want guys that will tackle. Yeah. Uh, Quinton Lake can do that, and Malcolm Rodriguez can absolutely do that. He's 5'11", which is one of the reasons why he's probably going to fall in the draft. He's only 230 pounds. People say he's too small, but he's he's one of those guys that's always around the ball, always making plays, and never misses a tackle. You know who he reminds me of? Hmm. Do you remember Britt Hager? Oh, yeah. Britt Hager. Yeah, who played- useful guy. Yeah, that's exactly what Rodriguez reminds me of. He plays in the same conference. Hager played at Texas. Good special teams guy. Same kind of player. Plays a middle linebacker. Started for a little while. Buddy guy. But a useful, a useful guy that could play some defense, but was a really good special teamer. I see Malcolm Rodriguez as that. He's a guy that's probably going to be a fifth-round draft pick, but I guarantee you people will get him in the coaches, will get him in the building, and are going to love him. And he's going to wind up. He'll be a, an, a core special teams player right from the beginning. They need and, that, man. And a guy that, depending on how you're, if your defensive coordinator uses a lot of sub packages and uses linebackers in certain situations, he could be on the field a lot, even as a rookie player. So those are my two, my two defensive sleepers for today. Malcolm Rodriguez, linebacker from Oklahoma State, and Quinton Lake, a safety from UCLA. Sweet. Nice start to it, Ray. And by the way, over the years, your sleepers, I remember Jason Peters, was one way back. In Jason the Peters was one of my sleepers. You know, the very first uh, Sproles. crop. Sproles. Darren Sproles was one of them. Darren Sproles was one of my sleepers. Jordy Nelson was one of my sleepers. Oh. One of my sleepers is in the Hall of Fame right now, and that's Jason Taylor. Wow. When he, yeah, yeah, when he came out of college, when he yeah. came out of Akron. Yeah, you've had a very good record with this, so it's always worth listening to. 
All right, let's get in some more calls here. Roy Rudy, excuse me, in Horsham, wants to talk about the theater a little bit. Good afternoon. Uh, Second-time caller, 41-year listener to back way in the days. Well, thanks, Rudy. And the, and the reason for my call, a couple things. Uh, first of all, um, I wanted to compliment uh, Ray Dinger. Um, by coincidence, I was listening Thursday, and uh, I'm glad he brought Tommy and me up to the Bucks County Playhouse. And I have recommended it to everybody because it was a phenomenal night. And, Ray, uh, I'm from Pittsburgh originally, and don't hang up on me because my first time calling, I got hung up on in 2017 because my boys are born and raised in Philadelphia. Uh And I wanted the Eagles to at least experience once what we experienced six times. And I go back here <laughs> from Harold Carmichael, the days when I was a kid and used to go down to Pitt Stadium to watch them play, and they were brutal. Big Daddy Lipscomb, people like that. And when I came to Philadelphia, um, my boys and I are very big into sports. And, Ray, I, I, my all-time hero is Roberto Clemente, but you have now become an idol of mine because your knowledge uh the way you present yourself as far as everything that happens in philadelphia you happen and i said this to you that night you put a positive uh pitch on everything no matter whether it be a negative highlight or that uh and the thing that really touched me is when we won the super bowl you had your son there with you and I saw the tears and the emotions. Yeah. And well, that, that Rudy, I, I got to run, and, and I appreciate okay, the call. Thanks, that, that came up last night a little bit, though, didn't it? Comes up pretty much every night. Yeah. Every night at Tommy and me, there's somebody in the post-show Q&A that will say, you know, that moment after the Super Bowl with you and your son, um, it brought tears to my eyes, too. Um, and I think it's just an emotion we all shared, Glenn. I mean, what, what was happening with me and David was happening all over the Delaware Valley. It was just... It took people back, you know, and everybody every, had that was, moment. It was just, everybody. Yeah, right. you know, this was for Grandpa. This is for Dad. This mm-hmm. is for Uncle Bill. I mean, the Eagles won for everybody, and we all shared in that. And the fact, here we are all these years later still talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Maybe we'll get that one again. That'd be nice. That would be nice. Uh, let me see what I'm going to sneak in here. Uh, a couple of people got stats. Real quick, I'm going to get Mike real quick. Mike, what are you thinking? Uh, Ray, uh, I'm the caller who's ruining your W-2 by pacing around your book. I was at Tommy and me on Friday for the second time, and the guy who plays Tommy should win a Tony. He is. Tom Teddy is a tremendous actor. He's been been doing the play from day one. I I can't imagine doing it without him. Tremendous. Uh, Okay, sports. I am so tired of hearing these athletes talk about MVP. Can I hear somebody say, can we get to the second or third round? Oh, I, listen, <laughs> I, I don't think Embiid is, has minimized winning in the playoffs. No. I will not question Embiid's desire to win. Right. I do think he's campaigning a little more for MVP than I would like to see, but whatever. You know, we think he deserves it, so whatever. But yes, I think the big thing is I would like to see them get to the third, get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and maybe the finals. We've waited forever. I agree. 
All right, last caller of this hour, and we're uh, we're sticking around here. I am going to be doing uh, leading off, John and Maniunk. What do you got, John? Uh, quick stat for you: the plus minus in basketball. I don't think that accounts for the other guys on the court with you. I agree. I think it is a fl- uh, flawed stat. Uh, plus minus in hockey can be overrated, but when I look at it, and Keith Yandel is a minus forty-two, I go like, yeah, that's okay. probably accurate. Yeah, the year that Mark Howe was a plus eighty-six, it's like, yeah, I get right. that. I buy that. But yeah, it's it's same kind of thing as in basketball. It's like. You're on a bad team with a bunch of jokers around you. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a good one. It's a good one. Uh, okay. And you had something on the Eagles. Oh uh, yeah, I was going to talk. We're talking about riding the cloud. You think there's? A, 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 I know they're needing a safety. Any chance to get Honey Badger? Honey Badger. Uh, we talked about that yesterday. Glenn's very high on that. Um, he's being mentioned. He went down and visited with the Saints. Uh, you know, and he went to LSU. So there's that. There's a connection there. But he's been in touch with the Eagles and. Um, he would be he would be a nice pickup. He's a leader. He's a he's a ball hawk, and he's a guy that could uh, really really bring some oomph to that secondary. Absolutely. And by the way, I read the story. He visited with New Orleans because he was down visiting his family right. in Louisiana, and the Saints said, "Hey, come on by." So it's not exactly like, you know, the Saints. I don't know. It just seemed a little little less formal than that. So, no, it definitely sounds like the Eagles are interested. Yeah. And I think it then's going to come down to the money. But he'd be he's absolutely a player worth investigating. Absolutely. All right, Moshe Kravitz. We uh there's a whole lot of sets we didn't get to today, but we we got to some good ones. Who wins the prize for the most overrated stat in sports? Oh, we had an early caller, Ray in Rittenhouse. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, there was only one stat that you guys really, you know, caught on to and wanted to talk about when it was brought up as an overrated stat that is not representative of of a uh, performance. And V and Sharon Hill called to say the the quarterback rating QBR. Yeah. So uh, V and Sharon Hill wins the Scheib gift card. It's a really good one. Fifty dollar gift card to Scheib Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or ScheibSports.com. I agree right. with Moshe. I think V. I think V's call was the best. Yeah, she was good. All right, Ray, you are off to a Tommy and me matinee. Have a great time. I will talk to you during the week. Yep. Stick around. We got leading off coming up right here next. And if you got a Philly, if you're on with a Phillies call, we'll take you. Uh, coming up next on 94 WIP. Drive it. Shot clock about to expire. Step back three from Embiid. Oh, my goodness. Here's Joel on that last action. Shot clock winding down. Defenders running at him. Well, that's Kate Scott and Al Abdenabi. Uh yesterday afternoon as the Sixers roll over a bad Indiana, in Indiana team. And uh, Joel Embiid had a great game yesterday. 41 points, 20 rebounds, 14 for 17 from the field. And a man who was there to cover it, as he usually is, Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer and Daily News joins us now. Keith, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're great. We are great. Uh, a little nervous about the Sixers. Let's start with the good stuff. The good stuff is Embiid, who, um, as you noted today, probably locked up the scoring title yesterday. The only way it can he cannot, I guess, is if he plays and gets two points and then Jokic plays and gets 50 points or whatever. But he's, he's locked it up. But he has not locked up the MVP. Keith Pompey, we ask you, should he be the MVP and will he be the MVP? Okay, so I'm going to tell you, I voted. I have a vote. 
I voted for him to be the MVP. The first time I've ever voted for him to be the MVP. So just put that out there. Um, and I don't think he will get the MVP. Um, the reason being is I, I feel like that right about now, and there's a lot of people who are getting caught up in, in statistics. And it, it means a lot, I guess. You know, uh, Joker, 2,000 points, 1,000 uh, uh, rebounds, you know, 500 assists. Um, but the, so I think that that could stand in Joel Embiid's way, right? When it comes down to the national voting. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I voted for him in regards to the MVP is, and I understand what people are saying about Joker, but if you take Embiid off of this 76ers team, no offense to the players they have, I believe that they're a playing team. And even though we talked about when you, when you led in, you said, you know, they played a bad Indiana team. He scored 41 points and had 20 rebounds against a bad Indiana team. But it seems like he's had to have performances like that all year, regardless of the quality of the competition for them to win, right? Mm -hmm. So when you, when you look at it, when we talk about most valuable, he has been the most valuable player on the team uh, for the 76ers, arguably the league. I also think that we have to go into – account his whole season the totalitarian like in the beginning the whole ben simmons saga right it was to a point where he was carrying them then yep and then now you look at it they have james harden james harden hasn't come close to performing the way that everybody expected him to do and he's still carrying the sixers so that's the reason why i voted for mb but there are going to be some people who have a vote and they just don't pay as close attention to what the Sixers are doing and what they've been through as, you know, others. And they're going to go for the, you know, for the Joker's uh, stat. Yeah. Ray, I, think, I, I, I would just like to record that and send that to every voter, if I may. No, I, I agree. I agree with Keith entirely. And I think that Keith, I didn't realize until I was reading a piece this week um, that said that uh, for Jokic, 2000 points, a thousand rebounds, 500 assists in a season, which he did this year. It was the first time it's ever been done by anybody. Uh, I yeah. did. I didn't know that. So that's you know, I, you know, that's pretty impressive. I I agree with you there. If you if you look at the numbers, the fact that in terms of points, rebounds, and assists, he did something this year no player has ever done. That's pretty good. But I think it gets back to, and this is the point that you just made. It gets back to the whole notion of what is most valuable player. You know, what does that award mm -hmm. really tell you? And when you think about what the Sixers were this year, what they went through, as you say, with the Simmons thing, the whole transformation at midseason when they make the trade, they make the team over, they bring in the new player in hard, and they have to re reconstitute how they're going to play the game and everything. The one constant through the whole thing has been Embiid. I mean, he's been mm -hmm. there every night, and he's kept this team on track. And I agree with you. I mean, they're, if, if you take him off this team, they're nowhere. You know, So if you're just mm -hmm. going to define it by what an MVP – truly means i think he is the most valuable i really i'm not taking anything away from what Jokic has accomplished because it's been great but if you really define most valuable player to who has been most valuable and critical to his team and what would the team be without him i honestly think it's Embiid hands down yeah i agree of course i agree <laughs> yeah um so they play tonight they're i guess 330 start today right uh against the pistons uh sixers would be a favorite celtics play the grizzlies um, if the Celtics win, the Celtics get the three seed no matter what. Uh, any sense? The Grizzlies are playing for nothing today, right, Keith? Any sense that the Grizzlies are going to play guys, or are they just going to kind of tank this one? 
Yeah, it's funny because I keep like going online looking to see, right? Let me say, mm-hmm. like, any updates. Um, you know, the, the weird thing is the Grizzlies wanna they wanted to basically have all their guys together going into the playoffs. Now they do have six days off before they play the next one. My only question is, you know, John ja Morant just came back from missing nine games mm-hmm. with an injury. Do you want to do a back-to-back with him? And what about some of these other guys? So, you know, my thing is, if if, if I'm if the coach, it depends on what they want. Like, if they want to basically say, okay, we're going to play another game, you know, let uh, let's do it. But you know, I, something tells me that, and and I could be wrong, but you know, I get this the gist by just by reading stuff that it, it could be one of those things where they get up today and and they're looking at guys and making phone calls and saying, how do you feel? How, how did you, how did your injury? I mean, you know, how do you feel, Ja? And if Ja says he, he, you know, he just wants to rest, then they're not going to play. Now, mm-hmm. I'm under the belief that the Boston Celtics, because, you know, we have Matisse Seibel, who's not fully vaccinated in Philadelphia, but the Boston Celtics has Al Horford and they have um, a Jalen Brown. So, you know, they have two guys who they don't want to go to Toronto and, and play with. So I'm under the belief that, you know, the Celtics are going to come, uh, you know, bring it. They're going to have all their starters, and they're going to try to go um, hard as if it is a playoff game today against the Grizzlies. How do you feel when you're looking ahead to what lies ahead, the possible matchups for the Sixers in the playoffs? Which ones do you view as favorable, and which ones do you view as the, the most perilous? You know, it's weird, and it's, it's funny because when we look at it, we would say possible matchups. Let's start with the first one. Um, you, you look at Chicago, and, and you see how the Sixers match up against them. Chicago just doesn't have anyone who can who who can stop Embiid. No, yeah. Um, but you know, but when you look at Toronto in the regular season, I mean, Toronto hasn't really even played the Sixers with their full complement of players, and they've been able to get the best of them. And then the one game that the Sixers beat them with, Toronto had six guys out with COVID, right? So it, it, it's one of those things where you look at how long and how athletic they are. They're in, they have a lot of interchangeable parts. You know, that that's a tough matchup. And it's one matchup that a lot of people are saying, you don't want to play the Raptors, you don't want to play the Brooklyn Nets, and you don't want to meet the Boston Celtics in the playoffs. They're three Atlantic Division, you know, rivals, right? But the one thing I will say is, you remember last year when they when they lost to the Atlanta Hawks? Sure. Everyone was excited that they were yes. playing the Atlanta yeah, Hawks. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's you, true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's yep. a matchup because we they, wanted. They, yeah, yeah. That's the matchup you want because they destroyed the Atlanta Hawks in the regular season. And then what happens is, you know, playoff basketball is a little bit different. You can get the scout, you, you scout your opponent more. So it, it's one of those things where although you say to yourself, like, I want the Bulls, I want the Bulls, I want the Bulls, you know, it's, it's basically going to come down to how are the coaches going to scheme and how are they going to have people prepared. And, you know, it's going to be more of a half-court game, which you, you, you think is, is suits James Harden a little bit better. You know, you have a guy like uh, uh, Danny Green, who he's playing Toronto. You know, he wanted to go back to Toronto. He ended up, you know, signing with the Lakers um, for that one year. So he's going to be a little bit motivated. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where in the playoffs, things can change. But right now, when you look at it, you say to yourself, 
Now, we don't want any parts of that because of the Matisse situation. But again, it's all about how is Doc Rivers going to have them prepared and what is James Harden going to do? Is he going to step up and show that he's that guy that they traded for? Yeah, I want to get to Harden in a minute, but I just want to stick with the Toronto possibility for a moment. And Ray and I talked about this early, and maybe it's unfair to think this Mm -hmm. way or to ask you this, but if they play Toronto and if – per chance, they lose the series because he can't play, right? They split the first two games here. They go to Toronto. There's defensive lapses, whatever. Uh, for Joel Embiid, this is his best. I mean, maybe things will get better, but this is clearly, you know, he's having his best season. Uh, for James Harden, we believe he came here in part because he really saw the opportunity to win uh, and was leaving a team where a guy wasn't vaccinated. If they lose it and Thibel becomes an issue, is it possible, like, he can't play here in the future? Or am I making too much out of this? I mean, it's, it, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I don't know if you're making too much out of it. You know, um, I, I, I think it's a, it's a sensitive, it is a, a sensitive subject, you know, where, you know, people, you're going to, if, 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 if people, if they get rid of him, there are going to be some people that say, look, man, he has his right. And then it becomes a bigger issue. But I will say this, and I and you kind of feel sorry for the guy, um, in a way because it's like a no-win situation for him. You know, he, he it's not like he's a a superstar player. To whereas like you know Kyrie, you just deal with what Kyrie does because he's a max player. You may not like him, right. but when you have a guy like a Mat- um, uh, uh, I'm about to say a Mat- yeah Matisse Thybul, you know he's going to be the scapegoat mm-hmm. if they lose, mm-hmm. and if he stays or not there's going to be certain people saying, you know, they're not going to come down on them like they did Ben Simmons, but there are going to be certain people saying it's your fault. It's your fault. Even though when he played, the Sixers were getting destroyed by that team, people are still going to say it's your fault. You're the reason why we lost. And, 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 and you know, he does have, you know, I'm a guy who's fully vaxxed, a guy who got my boosters. Matter of fact, I'm 50. So I got my my I got the second booster yesterday before mm-hmm. the game. Yep. So so I believe in that, but at the same time, he has a right to do what he wants to do. And but at the same time, there's always an escape goat when things go wrong. And I and I feel like that he will be made the escape goat if they do lose that that series. Yeah, I think it's un- unavoidable, Keith. No question about that. Um, I, you know, Glenn alluded to Harden, so I guess there's we got to kind of talk about him where he is right now. Um, clearly, he's been struggling. I mean, it's uh, you know the the, the, the long range shooting has just been part of it. He just you know he can't quite get to the basket anymore. He just I, I guess my question is 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 it a case of that he's still playing hurt that the hamstring hasn't fully recovered and he's playing he's just trying to play through an injury. Or is it a case of he's just getting older, and there are things that we used to remember him being able to do that he just can't do anymore? Or is it more like is it probably just maybe a combination of the two? I think it's the third. It's a combination of the two. I mean, you know, and, and I, I was listening to you guys yesterday, and I, you know, heard you say, you know, Derek Bodner said the same thing. Um, I do think it's a combination of the two. Now, the one thing is, I will say that. You know, it's obvious that something is wrong with him. I mean, there was a time where he had a sleeve on his calf, right? There was a time where I saw on the bench the guy was giving him a massage on his on his calf. You look at it now; he's been playing some games with a with a sleeve on his whole leg. 
You know, so that tells you that something is wrong. You can look at his shot. You can look that there's not a lot of elevation. You can look at sometimes he's back rimming these, these, these threes, right? So you can tell that he's like pushing extra. Um, the, the, the thing is, is, it's like, although he keeps saying everything is great, everything is great, you know that the hamstring is bothering him still a little bit, right? Um, but I think he's trying to power through it. Um, when you see a guy who last year he has so many hamstring problems, he has some early on, and then he comes back and, he, and he's playing well initially, to me I look at it as if he had some rest. You know, he, he was able to come back and, and play well, but then on the NBA schedule is so grueling, when you start playing X amount of games, it kind of like takes away from it because you don't have that long of a recovery. So I think that has a lot to do with the, the hamstring. Now, again, he is getting older. There was times in the past where, you know, as a young guy, you didn't need to take that much rest. You could do whatever you, you did and come out and play. So, you know, I think hopefully for him and hopefully for the 76ers, the fact that, you know, games are going to be spread out a little bit more in the playoffs that, you know, he can, uh, you know, uh, be a little bit better. Now, something else I will add, the rule changes also impacted his play as well. Now, I know the shot isn't there, yeah. but there was a time in the past when his shot wasn't going well, he would just draw, um, just, just drive the lane, and because of his, his status, if someone would touch him, he would get a foul. Nowadays, you, yeah, it looks yeah, like yeah. he's trying to get that, and they're yeah, not giving it to him. Kick out that leg, you know? the ref's not buying it. Uh, no, not anymore. No. Well, Keith Pompey, it is uh, it is a pleasure to speak with you. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, Pompey on Sixers, and we look forward to talking to you maybe during an extended playoff run. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, be well. Thanks so much. Thanks, Keith. Thanks, thanks for having me. All right, there you go. Uh, James Harden yesterday had a better game, well, had a better second half. First half, 2 of 8, 0 for 4 on three-pointers. Second half, 5 of 8, 2 of 5 on three-pointers. Final, 7 for 16, 2 for 9. Yeah, 14 assists, but yeah, also, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also five turnovers. Yep. So um, he just has to play better. Yep. You know, for them to, to even get to the conference final, not even talking about winning the whole thing, for him to get to the conference final, he's just going to have to play a lot better than he's playing right you now. You bet. Yes, sir. Get Rick in West Philly. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, Rick. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. How y'all doing? All right, we're good. All right, good morning, Mac. Always good to hear. Good to hear from you. Thank you, sir. And Ray, you are my man for the last 45 years. <laughs> well, I you appreciate that. You made me that. a football genius because I would sit up here and listen to your articles, read the Daily News, or watch you listen whatever you got to say, and I don't make no decisions. I'm talking about football. <laughs> so and then I go outside and argue with the guys and. It's a nice debate, but they be argument be, and those that they know, they're debating you. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, so I, was like, I appreciate me making like a genius. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. So where do you where do you where do you want to see the Eagles go in the draft? I, man, they better get somebody on defense. They need to get if they got to, if they got to move up and get that guy from that defensive tackle from um, from Georgia, the one that runs at three fifty one. Please get him. I don't care what you do, or you got to get a cornerback. Or you got to get a linebacker, and I know linebackers to the Eagles is like the plague, but you know, <laughs> what was it nineteen seventy nine? Jerry Robinson, seventy nine. Jerry Robinson, last linebacker they hey, took in the first round. No 
Yeah. Uh, you, and, 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 and they sit up here and they watch other teams win Super Bowls. Look at their linebackers. What is wrong with y'all? Yeah, it's philosophical, but I mean, you you um, you look at the teams that have won the last couple championships. Linebackers have been key, and linebackers exactly. are yeah. You, know, you get the right, right guy; it's a difference maker. Exactly right. So I don't understand. And and, and Jesus, man, why did you plow for the general manager job at the Eagles? <laughs> Rick, we've asked. Thanks, buddy. We've asked ourselves that question forever. Comes up every night at Tommy and every me. year. <laughs> all these years wasted time in the media when you could be building a dynasty. <laughs> One of these days we'll sit down. We'll have that. You long, get um, long you know sometimes sometimes you get them right. Sometimes you get them wrong. I yeah, mean, I think that we you, we all have. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. But I, I, the one thing I've, if there's one thing I've learned in 50 plus years of covering the NFL and analyzing drafts, nobody's perfect. I mean, even the best general managers make wrong decisions. I mean, Bobby Beathard, one of the great football architects of all time, is in the Hall of Fame, and he drafted Ryan Leaf. So, I mean, everybody can be wrong. I went back. We may do this in one of these coming weeks. For some reason, somebody posted online the first round of the 2012 draft, 10 years ago. Yeah. Fletcher Cox draft, right? Yeah. And I was looking at that first round. Fletcher Cox is like the only guy still, not literally, but one of a handful of guys still playing. Yeah. And, you know, maybe the best pick of the round, ultimately, now Luke Keekley was picked before Fletcher Cox, and he was a great player. He was a real good who, player. Whose career had to end early. Right. And Fletcher's really no, no longer a terrific player that he once was. But just going through it, leaving Keekley and Cox out, you go through it, and, like, the third pick of the draft is some offensive tackle who played three years and disappeared, and the fifth pick is this wide receiver everybody thought was going to be good, and he caught 80 passes, and, and it's – it happens. We just we localize it, right? Mm-hmm. Because we say, like, God Almighty, they took Jalen Rager and they could have taken Justin Jefferson. What in the world were they thinking? Right. But every year, you, I, you look back, and half of the first round picks are duds. Yeah. Well, and the offensive lineman you're talking about, I think, was Matt Khalil, right? He was the offensive. Might have been. I don't know. Yeah, I, and I, he was he was like the third overall pick. Everybody said can't miss. Don't, yeah. You know, it might have been. You know, all pro player, probably a Pro Bowl player, Matt Khalil. Never amounted to anything. It turns out his younger brother, Ryan, winds up getting drafted by Carolina. Nobody really thinks all that much of him. And he goes on to Carolina and becomes an outstanding player yeah. for a decade. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody, it's it's so hard. It really is so hard to make these evaluations. Yep. All right, we'll come back. We will get your calls. We want to look at the most overrated stat. we got a $50 gift card to Shibe Sports to give out. Motion, even nobody's running away with this thing at this point, right? No, so far, Ray is still winning. with Ray is still percentage. winning. Completion you, percentage, yeah. Yes, that's <laughs> a good one. That was a very good one. Uh, 215-592-9494. All calls in the next segment. All calls uh, at uh, the segment after that. Ray's going to give his NFL draft preview. Where are we going with that one today, Ray? We talked about it yesterday. Um, I'll start on my sleepers. Nice. I'll start. Uh, I'll give you two. Today. I'll give you two defensive sleepers today. Love it. All right. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack. Now Ray and Glenn, ninety four WIP. Let's talk to V in Sharon Hill. How you doing, V? Hey, how are you guys doing? All righty. Um, I just had a question about um, passer rating versus quarterback passer rating. Yeah. It, to me, it seems like the QBR is over. It, 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 it's, I mean, it's not taken into account just regular passes. you got to have, like, like really long passes, and it just seems like it's too much. It puts a different emphasis on it, but I would argue 
that both of those formulas, I mean, they are stats, but they're stats based on formulas as opposed uh-huh. to an actual event that happens on the field. Let me see if I can explain this. Like completion okay. percentage, flawed as it is, is a specific it's how, the percentage of passes you complete. Quarterback right. rating and QBR, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the two of them, now I'm getting confused, are both based on taking a bunch of events, putting them together in an equation, weighing and measuring them in different ways, and coming up with a number. I will agree with V's whole premise that it's overrated because when you look at the all-time quarterback ratings, Ray, yes, there are a lot of mediocre quarterbacks of today at the top of the list. Right. And exactly. The, and the great quarterbacks of the past don't show up. Right. So I think V's got a good one. No, I, no, I, I agree with V. Um, I mean, if you look at – and you, it's easy for people to access. Just go online, go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame statistical page and look at the all-time quarterbacks in the categories you're talking about, quarterback efficiency rating or passer rating. You'll see guys like Dave Craig – you know who everybody remembers played a million years, played for a dozen different teams. Has I don't, I'm just pulling his name out of the air because I've I've sort of done this myself. Um, and you look at his passer; he has a higher passer rating than Johnny Unitas, who's one of the, one of the five greatest quarterbacks wow. ever played. So I mean that the numbers are skewed that way. But it, but what it tells you is, and it, it, what it absolutely tells you is that the that the way the game has changed over the years. Uh, is not reflected in the statistics. In other words, today the short pass, the West Coast offense, the dink and dunk stuff uh, has greatly inflated those kinds of numbers, whereas in the past, in the 50s and the 60s, the Unitas's, the Tittles, those kinds of quarterbacks, when they threw the ball, they weren't dumping it off. When they threw the ball, they were throwing it downfield. Yeah. So, right. so typically, you know, at the end of a season, even a really good quarterback, touchdown passes and interceptions – we're very close because guys were taking more chances with the football. Now the game's all about it's a good one, not turning the ball over. But V, I think, yeah, V, that's a good one. Do you know who's number seven in the all-time quarterback rating? Kirk Cousins. There you go. <laughs> it's seventh all-time. They're all contemporary guys. Mahomes is number one. I mean, you know, these young guy. Mahomes only played sixty-three games. So I'm going to just give you guys. Who Steve, played it? Steve Young when he retired. More games. When Steve Young retired, I think Steve Young was number well, one. He's now number ten. Okay. So this is guys who've played a hundred or more games, right? I'm taking out the the young guys. Number one is Aaron Rodgers. That's fine. Aaron Rodgers is one of the five greatest quarterbacks of all time. Yeah, he's, so I don't he's have great. a problem with that. I have no problem with that. Uh, number two is Russell Wilson. Number three is Drew Brees. Four is Kirk Cousins. Again, guys with a hundred games or more. Five is Brady. Six is Tony Romo. Come on. <laughs> what are you, crazy? So, I, you know, I have no argument with the Rodgers and the Breezes and the, and the Bradys, clearly. They're, no, they're all-timers. Yeah. But I would tell you that having um, Kirk Cousins and Tony Romo at the top of the list, something's wrong here. Yeah, it is. It is. Right? Something's really wrong here. So anyway, that's I think the overrated stat and V's uh, maybe in the lead, but yeah. Ray, you and I don't get to make that decision. No. Uh, let's get Eric in Maryland. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hi, Eric. Hi. Right, good morning, fellas. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Uh, what I wanted to ask both of you about is the terminology that's used in scouting and how it reflects in drafting. Uh, for example, the term "raw." Is there a difference between a term "raw" when using it for a prospect versus um, a project, you know, like for example, 
Mylotta was a raw project, Ooh, yeah. but he looks to be a star. Whereas someone like, you know, uh, Kevon Wallace, who we drafted, I think, two years ago, he was raw, but he had so much more experience playing. Um, I hear what you're saying. But he's not on the field. I understand. Let me let me see if I can interpret. Right, he's talking about guys who are raw because they are so inexperienced. Right, that raw is like you know uncooked, untested. Just what do you have here? You see physical ability, but how is that going to translate? Correct to a guy like Kavon Wallace, who we know he's never going to be a star, but maybe there's something in there. Right, you know, that's that potential thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I. I, I see what you're. I think you're right, and 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 there you're kind of it's two different ways of saying the same thing. Um, Mylotta, um, yeah, Mylotta is he's the definition of raw. <laughs> if you're talking about a raw prospect, uh, that's the, the the definition of that is Jordan Mylotta. Because I mean, you don't get any rawer than a guy that had never played. Uh, and so what the Eagles did with him is probably a one in a million. You know, I mean, you got this guy who had never actually even played the game. You drafted him in the seventh round. You worked with him for a couple of years, and you not only got him on the field, but he's now on the verge of being a Pro Bowl player. That's that just yeah. doesn't happen very often. Quavon Wallace, uh, to me, is a, is is a disappointment. Um, I saw him play at Clemson. Wow. Uh, I saw him play at Clemson, and he was a good player. I mean, the Eagles drafted him in the fourth round. I actually thought he could go higher. Uh, his college career was very good. His college tape was very good. Um, a lot of it depends on how you want to use him. You know, he's a safety who's who's really kind of a big hitter, uh, has certain liabilities and coverage. Uh, but I thought with good coaching would develop into a good player. I'm kind of surprised that this far along in it that he hasn't made more of an impact. You know, this year, okay. you know, the Eagles right now they're they're thin at the safety position. So if he can stay healthy, I mean, he will get a good long look at training camp this year because, frankly, they're looking for a player. And so. maybe okay. and maybe it'll finally happen for him. But, you know, I, here's an example of what I'm talking about. You know, you can really study this and think you know what you're doing and, and make a judgment mistake. And I thought Quavon Wallace, when the Eagles made that pick, I said, oh, that's a, that's a really good pick. They're gonna, he's going to come on the field and play for this team. Here we are. We're this far down the road and it hadn't happened yet. So to V's point of quarterback rating being an overrated stat, I'm I'm now uh, I'm now so locked into this thing. In the top 35 players, all-time quarterbacks, all time, mm-hmm. there are only two whose career ended before the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Steve Young at 10 and Joe Montana at 18. Right on the list, ahead of any others who would have played, you know, before that. It includes Marcus Mariota, Matt Schaub, Tyrod Taylor, <laughs> Dante Culpepper, Jameis Winston. I mean, like these guys are all in the top thirty all time. Right. You want to tell me how Tyrod Tyrod Taylor can't keep a job? No, he's moving from team to team. And yet here he is, better than your Johnny Unitas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a flawed stat. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, you look at Unitas's number; it's all, it almost makes you laugh. And yeah. and and Namath's is worse. Yeah, well, Namath threw. I, I, I Namath threw a lot of balls up up in the air. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, am I, I'm trying to think of quarterbacks who played in the '90s, uh, in the '80s, and the '90s who were great quarterbacks. Dan Fouts, right? Dan Fouts is one of the best quarterbacks I ever saw. Right. He's not on this. He's he's behind Carson Palmer and Baker Mayfield. What are you crazy? Well, where would uh, where would Aikman be? He's, he's not in the top thirty-five. Yeah. 
I mean, I can keep scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Hold on. Let me see. I'm just looking for guys who whose career ended before 2000. All right. Dan Marino is number Dan Marino is number 40. 14 spaces behind Matt Schaub. <laughs> How's that? I'm not surprised. I mean, I've looked at this list and it just, you just roll your eyes when you do. I mean, when you look at they this. They got to come up with another one. When you look at it. this, what it tells you is you say, no, we got to figure out a different system than this. Yeah, this this one this one is not working. Oh, Jim Kelly is number 50. That's it. That's the top 50. Yeah. That's it. Marino and Kelly sneak in after. Barely make the cut. Young and Montana. So that's four quarterbacks in the top 50 who played before this. Nick Foles is in there ahead of Dan Marino. Mm-hmm. I felt that way on February 6th. Well, I mean, you've got Young and Young and Montana are obviously great quarterbacks, but they played in that what you would call quarterback-friendly system, the West Coast yeah. offense, yeah, the yeah, Bill yeah. Walsh offense, yeah. which lends itself into throwing safe passes and com- completing a high percentage and not turning the ball over. You know, it's no accident that – and, and it, look, they're great quarterbacks, and they probably would have functioned well in any offense, but – it's the West Coast offense that this rating system is kind of built right. around. David Garrard, who I don't even remember. Oh, Jacksonville. I know. I'm being facetious. Oh, okay. Is is ahead of Dan Fouts. Uh, v might win this thing. I, I don't I want to lobby. Let's see what Rudy, No, I think she's the leader in the club. Rudy and Horsham may have something better. Rudy, you got an overrated stat? Hello, Rudy? Rudy, Rudy is not there. Let's go to Irv in Haverford. Hello, Irv. Hey, guys. Uh, love listening to you. Uh, I'm retired now, so I get a chance to listen to sports radio a little bit more. Um, I was. I, this is directed at Ray in terms of when you draft a first-round pick from one of the top schools like Alabama, Georgia, where they have winning programs, championship programs are you more likely to get a well-coached player who has played high competition throughout their careers are you more likely to hit on those choices has anybody looked at that data to see first round choices alabama clemson etc etc um you would think that that would be true uh it's not true across the board there um there is a school of thought that um, that the players who play, we'll, we'll use Alabama for an example, because Saban's program has been so good for so long, um, that Nick coaches his players very well. They're very well schooled. They know how to play. Um, but he works them so hard uh, that guys come out of there and in some cases are maybe a little overrated. Maybe they have peaked out, that there's no more, you know, they have kind of tapped as good as they're going to be. There's, there's no really more room for growth when you come to the NFL. That happens with some guys. The other part is that Nick works his guys so hard that some of them are burnt out. I mean, emotionally, mm-hmm. physically, they kind of come out of Alabama. Not all of them, but obviously some Alabama guys come to the NFL and do great. But there is a certain burnout factor coming out of his program that guys come to the NFL and they just don't have a whole lot left. Uh, and then you get a guy like, and here's, here's one, a guy that I totally whiffed on, was a cornerback named D. Milner. wasn't that many years ago. Him, yeah. yeah, I mean, he was everybody. Everybody had him as a first round pick. I had him as a top ten pick. Came to the NFL, complete bust, complete bust. And, and some of it was the some of it was injury. He got hurt. It was a little bit of misfortune. Didn't wound up in the right system. But another part of it, when I talked to some coaches, I said, "Whatever happened with D. Milner? I mean, I, how could a guy like that miss?" They say he was burnout, just burnout on the yeah. game. 
And so if that's one of, that's one it, of the things you have to – but one of the things I do kind of believe in, and I really do believe in, is I think guys who come from winning programs, that helps. Whether it was a big college or a small college or D2, it helps if a guy was at a winning program because he comes to the NFL and he already knows the idea of what, t- what it takes to win. That's, that's a valuable thing to have. That's, uh, that's very interesting. I very much appreciate your opinion. I wanted uh, to also give you an overrated stat. Yeah. And that's kicking average for punters. Um, it really depends on where they're kicking from on the field. If mm-hmm. they're kicking closer to the other team's end zone, that's going to shorten the punt. It should really be net return yards on punting yeah. That, yeah. that gives you a better handle. That's if a good point. kicking directionally. Yeah, no, that's a good point. If you're kicking from the 50, you're punting from the 50. And by the way, my advice is usually go for it. But if you're punting from the 50, well, you don't want a 50-yard punt. You want a 42-yard punt and get it out of bounds. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. That's okay. Um, you're, still pu- you're still pushing for that punter for the Eagles to draft, huh? Oh, yeah. San Diego State. Yeah, you know what? I was going to look at a mock draft this morning before I came in. To Matt see- Araza. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you think, Ray? Uh, Eagles got a lot of picks. I think got a lot a, of picks. Need I think it's not a bad idea. I mean, they have three oh, picks. I've won. I've won the heart of Ray Dinger on oh, this. No, no, no. I, I never disagreed with that. Oh. I mean, he's he Glenn. He's a real weapon. Yeah, he's a real weapon. I mean, not only does he have a big leg where he can punt it 70, 80 yards, which he can, by the way, but he's also got very nice touch. He's also good at killing the ball inside the twenty. He's a he's he's about the best college punter I've seen. I don't know if I go back as far as Ray Guy. But I can't think of one that was better than him. Ray Guy was a first rounder. That will never. happen. No, that that I don't know that that'll happen again. But um, if the Eagles right now have three fifth round picks, right, uh, I would certainly have no problem using one of those picks on him. The only problem is I don't know if he's going to be there in the fifth round. He yeah. might go. He might go in round four. That's interesting. Yeah, he, I mean his 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 stock right now among the NFL people is is very high. Yeah, I'm looking, looking, looking. Wisnowski, the punter, was drafted in the fourth round in 2019. There are a bunch that are drafted in the fifth. They're not one in a third. Anger, who was it? Matt Anger, was that his name? Mm-hmm. 12th, uh, 2012 was drafted in the third round. Generally not before the fifth. Yeah, he's going to go, you know what? He's going to go, Eagles are going to have to take him in round four. And I would not be upset. No, it would be nice if you could. Since you have three in the fifth round, it'd be nice if right. you could get there. But yeah. I don't think you will. I think yeah. he's too good. Yeah, you got enough. You do it. Do it. Do it. Howie, do it. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. All right, coming up, Ray Dinger is going to give you his NFL draft preview. Cover a couple of sleepers. We'll get some calls in. We'll give away the prize. Take you right up to leading off. If you have a Philly specific question, you call in now. I will get you into that first segment of leading off. Looking forward to talking some Phil's baseball. All right, everybody. We are doing this every day leading up to the NFL draft. It is time for the Ray Dinger NFL draft preview. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you love this NFL films music, don't I you? I love when you talk with it. It just it makes me feel like, you know, football. It makes you feel like football. It does for me, too. Um, okay, uh, I know you always like my sleepers, so I'll, I'll get started on them today. I'll give you two. I, every year I pick five. So uh, today I will give you two defensive players. Since we've been talking a lot of defense with the Eagles, I'll give you two defensive players. One of them is a guy you, I'm sure you remember his father. You remember Carnell Lake? Yeah. Was a safety, was a yeah. very good player. Pittsburgh. Pro Bowl player with the Steelers. Yeah. 
His son is Quentin Lake, okay. uh, who is also a safety. I like bloodlines. At UCLA. Played for Chip Kelly. And uh, I really like him. He's uh, very talented, very smart. He looks like a kid that – he looked like a kid whose father played football. He looks like he's been well coached, certainly knows his way around the field, knows how to play the game, doesn't do anything stupid. Uh, plays the same position as his father, not quite as big as his father. He's 6'1", 205, which is – People will say, well, that's too small to really be a safety. I don't agree with that, uh, but for that very reason is one of the reasons why he's going to probably slip in the draft farther than he should. Um, based on his talent and based on his tape, he should probably be no worse than a third-round pick. He'll probably wind up being in round four or five, but um, is a worthy player. He's he's a really good tackler, uh, very physical. He's not afraid to come up and force the run. Uh, but he has good enough instincts to play deep and play the pass. Uh, he led the he led the Bruins in passes broken up and in interceptions last year, uh, and is a very very good open field tackler. He's a guy that I don't know that you're t- going to project him as a rookie starter, but he can certainly work in if you have a whole lot of sub packages. If you play a lot of nickel and dime, you can certainly find ways to get him on the field. And from day one, he will be a good special teams player, and with the potential to develop into more than that. So Quinton Lake from UCLA, six one two zero five safety, uh, is my sleeper number one. The other one, interestingly enough, is a player that we had a caller ask me about like three weeks ago. Said Ray, do you, do you, what are your opinion on Malcolm Rodriguez? <laughs> and I didn't want to get into it then because I was just really starting to put my sleepers together, and and Rodriguez was one of the guys I wanted to go with. Um, because I saw him play, uh, he played at Oklahoma State, uh, and he's one of these guys who's all over the field. I mean, mm-hmm. he's always around the football. Uh, he's undersized, which is another reason why he'll fall in the draft. Uh, but he's so smart, uh, he's so heady, and again, such a good tackler. One of the things, Glenn, and you and I talk about this all the time, the NFL, for all the things that it does well, yeah. one of the things that has really suffered in the league is tackling. Yes. It's really not a great tackling league anymore. I great. mean, how many missed tackles do you see in games? In the Eagles secondary, a lot. A lot. And I don't know it's just because I'm watching the Eagles. I watch other games, and I seal the same thing. So that's one of the reasons why when I'm putting this together and I'm scouting defensive guys, tackling, it's as stupid as this sounds, tackling is important to me, okay? I hate to sound old-fashioned, but I want guys that will tackle. Yeah. Uh, Quinton Lake can do that, and Malcolm Rodriguez can absolutely do that. He's 5'11", which is one of the reasons why he's probably going to fall in the draft. He's only 230 pounds. People say he's too small, but he's he's one of those guys that's always around the ball, always making plays, and never misses a tackle. You know who he reminds me of? Mm. Do you remember Britt Hager? Oh, yeah. Britt Hager. Yeah, who played, useful guy. Re, yeah, that's exactly what Rodriguez reminds me of. He plays in the same conference. Hager played at Texas. Good special teams guy. Same kind of player, plays a middle linebacker, started for a little while. Buddy guy. But a useful, a useful guy that could play some defense, but was a really good special teamer. I see Malcolm Rodriguez as that. He's a guy that's probably going to be a fifth-round draft pick, but I guarantee you people will get him in the coaches, will get him in the building, and are going to love him. And he's going to wind up, he'll be a, an, a core special teams player right from the beginning. They need and, that, man. And a guy that, depending on how you're, if your defensive coordinator uses a lot of sub packages and uses linebackers in certain situations, he could be on the field a lot, even as a rookie player. So those are my two, my two defensive sleepers for today. Malcolm Rodriguez, linebacker from Oklahoma State, and Quinton Lake, a safety from UCLA. Sweet. Nice start to it, Ray. And by the way, over the years, your sleepers, I remember Jason Peters. 
was one way back. In Jason the day. Peters was one of my sleepers. You know, the very first uh, Sproles. Of, Darren Sproles was one of them. Darren Sproles was one of my sleepers. Jordy Nelson was one of my sleepers. Oh. One of my sleepers is in the Hall of Fame right now, and that's Jason Taylor. Wow. When he, yeah, yeah, when he came out of college, he yeah. came out of Akron. Yeah, you've had a very good record with this, so it's always worth listening to. All right, let's get in some more calls here. Roy Rudy, excuse me, in Horsham, wants to talk about the theater a little bit. Good afternoon. Uh, second time caller. 41-year listener to back way in the days. Well, thanks, Rudy. And the, and the reason for my call, a couple things. Uh, first of all, um, I wanted to compliment uh, Ray Dinger. Um, by coincidence, I was listening Thursday, and uh, I'm glad he brought Tommy and me up to the Bucks County Playhouse. And I have recommended it to everybody because it was a phenomenal night, and Ray... Uh, I'm from Pittsburgh originally, and don't hang up on me because my first time calling, I got hung up on in 2017 because my boys are born and raised in Philadelphia, Uh and I wanted the Eagles to at least experience once what we experienced six times. And I go back here (laughs) from Harold Carmichael, the days when I was a kid and used to go down to Pitt Stadium to watch them play, and they were brutal. Big Daddy Lipscomb, people like that. And when I came to Philadelphia, um, my boys and I are very big into sports. And, Ray, I, I, my all-time hero is Roberto Clemente, but you have now become an idol of mine because your knowledge, uh, the way you present yourself as far as everything that happens in Philadelphia, you happen, and I said this to you that night, you put a positive uh, pitch on everything, no matter whether it be a negative highlight or that. Uh, and the thing that really touched me is when we won the Super Bowl, you had your son there with you, and I saw the tears and the emotions. Yeah. And well, that, that Rudy, I, I got to run, and, and I appreciate okay, the call. Thanks, that, that came up last night a little bit, though, didn't it? Comes up pretty much every night. Yeah. Every night at Tommy and me, there's somebody in the post-show Q&A that will say, you know, that moment after the Super Bowl with you and your son, um, it brought tears to my eyes, too. Um, and I think it's just an emotion we all shared, Glenn. I mean, what, what was happening with me and David was happening all over the Delaware Valley. It was just... It took people back, you know, and everybody had that moment. It was everybody. Yeah, you know, this is for Grandpa. This is for Dad. This Mm -hmm. is for Uncle Bill. I mean, the Eagles won for everybody, and we all shared in that. And the fact, here we are all these years later still talking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. Maybe we'll get that one again. That'd be nice. That would be nice. Uh, Let me see what I'm going to sneak in here. A couple of people got stats. Real quick, I'm going to get Mike real quick. Mike, what are you thinking? Uh, Ray, uh, I am the caller who's ruining your W-2 by passing around your book. I was at Tommy and me on Friday for the second time, and the guy who plays Tommy should win a Tony. He is. Tom Teddy is a tremendous actor. He's been been doing the play from day one. I I can't imagine doing it without him. Tremendous. Uh, Okay, sports. I am so tired of hearing these athletes talk about MVP. Can I hear somebody say, can we get to the second or third round? Oh, I, listen, <laughs> I, I don't think Embiid is, has minimized winning in the playoffs. No. I will not question Embiid's desire to win. Right. I do think he's campaigning a little more for MVP than I would 
like to see, but whatever. You know, we think he deserves it, so whatever. But yes, I think the big thing is I would like to see them get to the third, get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and maybe the finals. We've waited forever. I agree. All right, last caller of this hour, and we're uh, we're sticking around here. I am going to be doing uh, leading off. John and Maniac. What do you got, John? Uh, quick stat for you: the plus minus in basketball. I don't think that accounts for the other guys on the court with you. I agree. I think it is a flaw, uh, flawed stat. Uh, plus minus in hockey can be overrated, but when I look at it, and Keith Yandel is a minus forty-two, I go like, "Yeah, that's okay. probably accurate." <laughs> yeah, the year that Mark Howe was a plus eighty-six, it's like, "Yeah, I get right. that. I buy that." But yeah, it's it's same kind of thing as in basketball. It's like. You're on a bad team with a bunch of jokers around you. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's a good definitely. one. It's a good one. Uh, and you had something on the Eagles. Oh uh, yeah, I was going to talk. We're talking about riding the cloud. You think there's? A, 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 I know they're needing a safety. Any chance to get Honey Badger? Honey Badger. Uh, we talked about that yesterday. Glenn's very high on that. Um, he's being mentioned. He went down and visited with the Saints. Uh, you know, and he went to LSU. So there's that. There's a connection there. But he's been in touch with the Eagles and. Um, he would be a, he would be a nice pickup. He's a leader. He's a he's a ball hawk, and he's a guy that could uh, really really bring some oomph to that secondary. Absolutely. And by the way, I read the story. He visited with New Orleans because he was down visiting his family right. in Louisiana, and the Saints said, "Hey, come on by." So it's not exactly like you know the Saints. I don't know. It just seemed a little little less formal than that. So, no, it definitely sounds like the Eagles are interested. Yeah. And I think it then it's going to come down to the money. But he'd be he's absolutely a player worth investigating. Absolutely. All right, Moshe Kravitz. We uh there's a whole lot of stats we didn't get to today, but we we got to some good ones. Who wins the prize for the most overrated stat in sports? Oh, we had an early caller, Ray in Rittenhouse. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there was only one stat that you guys really, you know, caught on to and wanted to talk about when it was brought up as an overrated stat that is not representative of of a uh, performance. And V and Sharon Hill called to say the the quarterback rating QBR. Yeah. So uh, V and Sharon Hill wins the Shibe gift card. It's a really good one. Fifty dollar gift card to Shibe Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or ShibeSports.com. I agree right. with Moshe. I think V. I think V's call was the best. Yeah, she was good. All right, Ray, you are off to a Tommy and me matinee. Have a great time. I will talk to you during the week. Yep. Stick around. We got leading off coming up right here next. And if you got a Philly, if you're on with the Phillies call, we'll take you. Uh, coming up next on 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20 percent versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. <laughs> Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts 
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.